Welcome to the BBC Trending Podcast. I'm Mega Mohan and in the studio with me today is Will Yates. Hello, Mega. And what will you be looking at today, Will? Well, we've heard a lot on this programme and elsewhere about the online activities of the Mm alt-right. That's a far-right group based around a lot of white nationalism. That's right. Um, they're a pretty loosely aligned group. We've heard a lot about them online and the trolling and the and what we call doxing. You'll hear more about that in the programme. But this week, I'm going to be looking at a group from the absolute opposite end of the political spectrum, the so-called Antifa. Have you heard of Antifas? I have heard of Antifas, but I'm very clever. But <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing more about that later. Thanks, Will. And Anita Suvidar is also here. Anita, what will you be looking at today? Hi, we're looking at fake news in India, but mm. every time people mention fake news, there's, there's like the sound of snoring and people falling asleep. Or <laughs> Not every don't do time. That. Don't do that. It's really good. So we're looking at fake news in India and the way that a private messaging platform, WhatsApp, is being used both to spread misinformation, but also debunk it on that very platform. Mm, so it's information that you can't necessarily track. So it's not like Google or Facebook where you can actually see the mm. spread of information. It's very different. And Jonathan Griffin is also going to be here. He's looking at other trends, other big trends that people have been talking about this week. So do stay with us. I'm Mega Mohan and welcome to BBC Trending, a top team in the studio with me today. Let's start with Will Yates. Hi, Mega. Well, since the election of Donald Trump, there's been a lot said about his online supporters. Mm -hmm. But what about the Antifa, the left-wing radicals who are accused of violence and extremism? This week, we look at how they've been trending. Every time anyone replays that video, 11 million ghosts rejoice along with them. And Anissa Subadai is also here. Hi, Mega. I'm asking if online fake news just entered a new and more dangerous phase in India. I think people want to hear what they like to hear. They are probably not putting in effort to figure out whether it is true or not. And Jonathan Griffin is also here. Now, he's been looking at the other trends of the internet this week, right? That's right. Uh, This week, we're talking about $1 weddings and a very popular purple bird. Okay, team, let's get going. Now we've heard a lot on trending about the less than savoury online antics of the alt-right in the US. This week, though, Will, you've been investigating the activities of a group on the other extreme of the political spectrum? Yes, Megan, we're talking about the so-called Antifas or anti-fascists, some of whom aren't averse to their own underhand online tactics and acts of on-street violence. A recent clash with the right has seen them trending, but we'll get to that a bit later. To understand what's going on, you have to go back to the beginning. Anti-fascists of all stripes have been around since 1930s Europe. But what we're talking about today in the USA is a loosely aligned group of on- and offline activists who say they're dedicated to fighting fascism and racism. And they became headline news the moment Donald Trump became president. This story begins six weeks ago, then. Well, yes, on Inauguration Day itself, there was an anti-Trump demo in Washington which turned violent. Restaurant windows were smashed, there was a car set on fire and some uh, objects were thrown at the police. 231 people in all were arrested and of those, 223 have subsequently been charged with rioting. And we'll have more on that a bit later. But the video which went viral that day wasn't of the demos, it was of the white supremacist Richard B. Spencer being punched by a masked Antifa. 
Yep, I remember it well. And it led to a flood of memes online. And many of them were videos set to um, music, wasn't it? The punch set to music. Yes. So although it was Richard B. Spencer who was the victim of a violent act here, the video and all those mocking memes which went with it were seized on by the Antifa movement. They were all over the world. Now, I got in touch with the people behind a group on Reddit. It's called Militant. And they run a subreddit, which they say is for the purpose of organising leftists and providing a safe space for revolutionary leftist discussion in general. Now, they were keen to remain anonymous. In fact, I had to jump through a number of hoops to prove I wasn't from the alt-right and someone trying to troll them uh, before they answered my emailed questions. Now, we've got someone to voice up the answers they sent me, and this is what they had to say about the violent attack on Richard B. Spencer. Every time anyone replays that video, 11 million ghosts rejoice along with them. Richard Spencer is an evil man who has advocated ethnic cleansing and directly and intentionally contributed to the recruitment and action efforts of hate groups. Frankly, the fact that we as a society are so unwilling to condone neo-Nazi philosophies that the video has become part of the popular zeitgeist is a beautiful thing. It was a big thing online and it led to lots of discussions about whether it was okay to punch a Nazi, didn't it? Yes, and not surprisingly, the fact that an act of violence had been appropriated as a piece of propaganda infuriated many people in the alt-right movement. Now, that's a group of far-right conservatives and often white nationalists who are very active online in the States. Here's Chuck Johnson, and although he says he's not a white nationalist, he's a very popular and influential figure in that alt-right movement. On the streets, it seems to be mostly one-sided, where the Antifa go to different right-wing events and assault the um, the people who are attending them. And more often than not, the uh, the police try and shut down the events. So yes, it's become a lot more violent. It used to be that they would throw glitter on people, and now they're pepper spraying them and trying to punch them in the face. Well, we've certainly reached a very tribal point in the culture where people cheer on violence. You know, uh, Richard is not my favorite person in the right, generally. I think he's... Um, a bit narcissistic sometimes, but you know you should be able to give an interview on a public street corner without being assaulted, and then to see the the celebration, the glee with which a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of people on uh, in the media, sort of championed him being sucker punched. I thought that was kind of disturbing, to put it mildly. Well, is Chuck Johnson saying that the alt right are the victims here? Well, that's what he's saying, but. As ever, the story isn't quite that simple because Chuck Johnson himself is accused of similarly underhand tactics in the new online culture war. He he runs a website called We Searcher where members are encouraged to fund bounties for information on people the alt-right don't like. And at the moment, they're offering cash rewards to anyone who can prove that the left-leaning French presidential candidate Emmanuel Macron is gay, as well as to anyone who can name the man who allegedly punched Richard B. Spencer. We're not encouraging them to find them for themselves. We actually say in the in the uh, in the bounty that we want people to use the information, turn it over to law enforcement, um, turn it over to us, and we can turn it over to law enforcement. You say you see it as a public service, but where's the public interest in asking for information to, as you put it, prove that Emmanuel Macron, the French presidential candidate, is gay? Oh, well, in that case, so that piece was done by a Front National supporter. This individual sent us the information proving that the media was covering it up in France. I'm not really all that totally interested in public officials uh, on their homosexual proclivities. 
uh, or orientation or, you know, however we're but discussing it's number it these one, days. number one at the moment on the site, Editor's Choice. That's the first one. That oh, is it? Out. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I know that it's being shared around. But, yeah, we had somebody who sent it to us. Um, there's a lot of questions about whether or not he's being totally honest about who he is and his past. Um, at least that's my understanding of it. So it seems that he's not entirely sure what's on his own website, researcher. He's certainly a bit hazy on the details there. Uh, and it doesn't stop there, because Chuck also runs an alt-right news site. Just last week, it published the full names, addresses and dates of birth of all those charged with rioting at the Washington Inauguration Day protest, which we were talking about earlier. Now, that was seen by most people as a classic case of doxing. Yeah, that's a term that we know very well here on Trending, but maybe you need to explain that a bit more. I should. Doxing means the online naming and shaming of people you don't like, which, of course, could be dangerous if people then go and physically harass them. Now, doxing is a tactic used by both the alt-right and the Antifas. In response to my written question, the moderators of that militant subreddit group told me... Anti-fascists absolutely do engage in doxing active members of hate groups. To ensure the safety of those who would victimise from the shadows, we must bring them into the light. That said, although they do see it as a legitimate tactic, they're not happy when it happens to them. Many of those arrested in D.C. had absolutely no connection to any illegal action. Now, in addition to completely ridiculous criminal charges, they face the threat of harassment by the most hate-filled elements of society, for absolutely no good reason whatsoever. Slight hint of double standards there. You know, it's all right for us to dox, but not you. But what does Chuck Johnson have to say about this? Well, initially, at least, he denied he doxed anybody. Well, in this case, um, people were claiming various things about the individuals in question. I believe there were like 231 of them that were ultimately, um, uh, you know, that there were either charges filed or that they they were arrested. And uh, we, you know, we believe in not censoring that information and letting people see for themselves. There's a difference um, between not censoring and actually publishing it, isn't there? Um, so, no, I would say that this is a government document and people have a right to see the document. Um, perhaps we could blur it. Um, maybe we should should go and blur some of the addresses there, um, or at least if there are personal addresses there. I didn't um, – I haven't seen if there were the personal addresses there. I just know that there – This is your website. We put, up the, we put up the hometowns, I believe, too. But you put the first of all, you put the hometowns up, and then later on, under a big spread, breaking news, here we have the dates of birth, uh, names, and addresses of the 223 people who've been charged. Oh, okay. And that's yeah. breaking then, yeah, news on the front page, front page of your website. Yeah, I guess we have done that. But isn't I that doxing? That was, um, I suppose. I suppose in this case, yeah, these are these are people who have been identified as criminals, and so yeah, I guess we published that. They're not criminals because they they haven't actually been found guilty. Yet. Well, I guess they've been charged. So there's a big difference be you know, between criminals. being charged. And yeah, I don't have an issue with accused criminals having their um, their addresses published. I don't think it's a problem. He might not see it as a problem, but I'm sure a lot of people would. I, I guess the risk in this story is that there's a huge amount of violent talk and violent imagery being posted online. But could that spill onto the streets? Well, to an extent, it's already happened. There were those violent protests in Washington. Mm. Uh, and since then, there have been other incidents. Notably, there have been two protests by the Antifa movement against Milo Yiannopoulos. He's the senior editor of the right-wing Breitbart news and opinion website. Um, and one of those in Seattle, an anti-fascist supporter was actually shot and so badly injured that only surgery saved his life. Just a reminder, you're listening to the BBC Trending podcast. We love feedback, so do go online to where you downloaded us and leave us a comment or a rating. And Jonathan Griffin joins me in the studio. Mm. Jonathan, you've been looking at other trends of the week. 
Yeah, well, in Kenya, a couple who initially spent $1 on their wedding day... $1? $1, just $1.80, uh, were treated to a more lavish ceremony by internet well-wishers. Oh. Wilson and Anne Matura had their first wedding last month... And cash was tight, so they wore casual clothes and their party took place without cakes, flowers or decorations. But that original ceremony unsurprisingly went viral and they've since been treated to a $35,000 do. Aww. And Trending would like to send our congratulations to the happy couple. Yes, we would. Uh, I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed has been covered with pictures and gifs of a purple bird yeah. nodding its head Nodding, yeah. You've seen, seen that? It, yeah. yeah, well, it's everywhere. It's called the Trash Dove, and it's an animated Facebook sticker. It bawled over social media in Asia, and it was adapted by users to dance off with a cartoon cat on a popular Thai Facebook page. Mm. But, but now, now it's spilled over, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The bird has Western domination in its sights. It's all <laughs> over social media feeds, much to the delight of its creator, American cartoonist Sid Weiler. Thank you all so much for all of your support. I'm really glad that you like the stickers. But while many Facebook users are enjoying posting the Dove stickers without any context, left-wingers and alt-writers are battling over the bird. Aww. Yeah, on 4chan it's been photoshopped with swastikas and other Nazi insignia. It's like nothing is sacred. We can't escape from that theme at the moment. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. If you've been listening to BBC Trending over the last few months, you'll know we've spent a lot of time analysing the phenomenon of fake news. And our next story also stays on that theme, but we promise this isn't a story that you've heard before, probably. Um, this tale takes on an unusual, even pernicious twist. Anissa Suba does in the studio with me. Hi, Megan. Hi, Anissa. Now, Anissa, so far, the spread of fake news has kind of occurred on public platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, we've, we've been seen able, that here at Trending. We've been able to track yeah. the spread of the misinformation. But this story that you've been looking at has occurred on a platform where you can't see the spread of it. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it's no mistake. I mean, we know that it's been widely reported. There's been a global increase in the number of hoax stories that are being widely shared over the last few months. And that's no different in India. But one of the platforms there that helps to facilitate the circulation of those stories is WhatsApp. It's the most popular messaging platform in India and it's used by more than 160 million Indians. And that's quite significant because it's the platform where misinformation can spread widely, quickly. And the, the, the key point is unlike Facebook or Twitter where fake stories can be noticed and taken down, this is all private. So it's really hard to fact check. And despite that, we found some people trying to stop fake news on WhatsApp in India. Here on Trending, we've covered the spread of false rumours in India, and that started in November with the um, demonetisation mm. news. That's when Prime Minister Modi announced that 500 and 1,000 rupee notes That's are right. going to be withdrawn from circulation and replaced by new currency. And I remember because what followed was a host of um, fake news and conspiracy theories spreading, and notably on WhatsApp. Exactly. So people were sharing stories on WhatsApp saying there was a, a GPS chip in the, mm -hmm. the 2,000 rupee note, which was being used to identify where notes were being stored. Others thought that the ink would bleed from the new notes and that the ink was dangerously radioactive. Mm -hmm. And some people would cite those examples as the reason for the rise in misinformation and hoaxes. So much so that there's now a WhatsApp hotline where you can send stories to be checked 
I think people want to hear what they like to hear. They are probably not putting in effort to figure out whether it is true or not. That culture is still to be uh, developed in India where people at least, you know, search in Google to figure out whether it's true or not. That's Mohammed Shamas and together with his friend Bal Krishna Birla, they've created a website called checkforspam.com and they spend their time fact-checking stories they've been sent on WhatsApp and they say they get between 60 and 70 forwards every day and some of the types of stories they say that are sent to them are a mixture of urban myths and tall tales. Ooh, like what? Well, there was one with fruit that was supposedly laced with AIDS and there was another one of a woman who had 11 babies and along with those stories, there were some that were politically motivated. That's, of course, a thing that we've covered a lot on trending. We've seen in countries recently about false news allegedly influencing voters in elections. There have been reports that police have taken action over the creators of fake news, arresting people, they say, that have made up news stories, and even some of those responsible for the WhatsApp groups on which fake news is spread. And is the government doing anything to combat the spread of fake news? This is Prabhaka Kumar, who is a media analyst from a think tank called CMS in New Delhi, and they look at governance issues at local and national levels. Now, the line to India wasn't very clear, so we've had somebody to voice his answers. I think the Election Commission of India... I think the Election Commission of India, they need to do something, because they're only trying to control mainstream media, not social media. They need to create a system and have parameters. These kinds of things are very harmful for business and political prospects and obviously for democracy. Anissa, is anyone saying that WhatsApp should be accountable to their users on the topic of the circulation of fake news on their platform? I contacted WhatsApp to ask them, but at the time of recording, I had yet to hear back from them. I did speak to Bunker Jane, who runs a fact-checking Facebook page called SM Hoaxlayer, and he put the onus directly on individuals and not on social media. WhatsApp is a platform, like... Uh, suppose you and me are talking out in the air. We cannot block air, right? I have heard that Google and Facebook are coming together to filter sites and to debunk the hoaxes. They cannot stop it. The only thing required is common sense. It all depends on every individual. Neither WhatsApp can do anything, nor Facebook can do anything. Nobody can do anything about it. So the view that Bunkage has is that unlike Facebook and Google, who said they would actively take responsibility to tackle fake news, WhatsApp shouldn't feel the same obligations and that the onus relies on the fake news consumer and not on the platform. So it seems that sites like Check for Spam and SM Hoaxlayer may remain lone fact checkers and not be getting any more formal help for now. That's right, Mega. But, you know, if that changes, I'll be sure to update you. That's it for this week's BBC Trending podcast. Thanks to Will Yates, Jonathan Griffin and Anissa Subedar. Mike Woolley was our man on the dials. And of course, thank you for listening. We are all about the messages. So do feel free to send us a tweet or contact us on Facebook and leave us a message. You can even email us at trending at bbc.co.uk or review us online wherever you downloaded us from. If you like us, you'll also love our sister programme, People Fixing the World, and you can find them wherever you downloaded us from. That's it. Trending will be back next week. See you then.